Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. <laughs> Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many topics. And this topic is Michael's and it is what, Michael? Uh, Mount Rushmore of Mother Nature's Revenge on this um this earth day is that what earth today day. is yeah mm. part of earth month mm. um <laughs> yeah uh you know i am fascinated by this topic even just just because i'm the fascinated like the uh we have dealt with um uh i guess individuals i'm not going to say they're fictitious such as uh Père noel santa claus or you mm. know the devil or things like that on this podcast and mother nature is a character or a concept you know depending on what we're going to how we're going to approach it maybe just the idea of nature but uh we're, we're saying mother nature so i was really fascinated when uh doing the slightest amount of research and understanding that there are different depictions of this concept throughout the ages and and that sometimes mother nature was in charge of ju just what was on the surface, but there was like other creatures that controlled what was underneath the earth. Oh, sure, the lizard people. The yeah. lizard people, yeah. Um, or even just the concept of nature as being mm. humans being something somehow separate from it is the product of this newer um, manifestation of people who have these tools that can actually harm nature, fire or, or creating floods or doing things that could actually impact nature was the first time people actually kind of thought of nature as something separate than us because it needed to be evaluated separately. Are we doing the right thing for nature? So I, I found it fascinating. Well, that's kind of how I uh, came up with the idea for this topic today was, um, well, two, two reasons. One, you know, kind of living through this last year of this um, pandemic and seeing just different stories and people referring to this as like nature's revenge against man. And I thought, well, that's a little heavy handed, uh, yeah. you know, these sorts of diseases happen and they've been happening for forever. And, you know, whether it was the flu of the pandemic of what, uh, 1918 or, you know, the plague, you know, diseases happen and they happen often. I don't think that they are specifically a thinning out of the population as some people seem to describe it. But then I'd been watching a bunch of like Godzilla movies and <laughs> those are, those are seemingly depicted as kind of what Jeff was referring to as like these, you know, monstrous beasts who were put on this earth to um, potentially return things to a state of kind of primordial um, uh, to kind of rid the earth of mankind because we've fucked it up. Yeah past a point and so of course a giant lizard and a monkey have to punch each other <laughs> but um i just i don't know i just thought i just thought of the oh what just depictions of either mother nature's like whatever her wrath you know i think often mother nature is like seen as a nurturing character or someone that is like taking care of all the that um you know life on the planet but then at the same time um yeah, don't fuck with Mother Nature at the mm -mm. same time. Mm -mm. Okay, uh, Ricardo, what is your first choice? Guys, this show has gone to the birds. Oh, geez. I mean, literally. My first choice is Alfred Hitchcock's 1963. Oh, great. Uh, Thrill okay. of the Birds. Um, one of the 
at the same time, it's one of my favorite, somewhat same hand, one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock films and also clearly one of the most ridiculous of all Alfred Hitchcock films. Um, and what I love about this movie and what it, you know, in the, in the context of Mother Nature's Revenge is that we never really get a clear understanding of why the birds are attacking everybody. You know, is it, is it because they're upset with the way that humans are treating nature? You know, is it that they didn't get enough bird seed that week? Could be, <laughs> could be all, of, all of the bird seed. All of the bird seed was confiscated by Acme and is currently in a warehouse being <laughs> doled out to Wiley Coyotes <laughs> trying to capture one bird. Exactly. Is there a tiny vial of red fluid that they keep bowing down to try to consume a little bit of it? <laughs> missing it? A little uh, bit. A little I, 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 I just watched a, uh, a YouTube kind of mini documentary about the birds. And I'm I'm fascinated by the special effects that took went went into making the movie. Um, some of the shots, like they used a lot of, they shot uh, most of it at the Universal Studios lot, but for the kind of higher up shots where you'd see the town of Bodega Bay itself, it was a combination of the actual uh, footage from Universal Studios, and then they fleshed it out with paintings. So it's basically oh, yeah. half painting, half real shot. Yeah, um, with the the birds flying around, kind of green roto, I guess back then roto scoped into the uh, the shots, mm -hmm. and then other times they did things like tying live birds to the back of kids' uh, collars, so the bird would then attack said kids. So it was kind of a mix, you know, hmm. of practical <laughs> practical a mix of the cutting edge visual effects, cutting edge visual <laughs> effects and child abuse, kind of a mix of those two. Wow. I always like in um, in movies, they usually use birds um, to depict something that is kind of more connected to like a danger around us. And they're more like intuitive, like um, I'm thinking of like in mm, maybe Jurassic Park or even in like one of these uh, Godzilla movies, they're always like flying away from danger. They're flocking, they're moving in a way that they like, they know something's happening and you always see birds moving before humans do. And humans are always like, look, looking up and being like, what are those birds doing? Why are they, why is every bird flying away? And then, you know, a dinosaur comes out of nowhere. They're literally usually the canaries in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Good. And good in, point. in, in this case, they're, they're quite the opposite. And just that shot of, as they're trying to walk, the final kind of scene is the survivors are trying to walk to their car and all of the birds are just kind of masked. And they're just walking very slowly and hoping none of them makes a move on them. Again, I think if you would have known, if someone would have come forward and said, well, there was some sort of problem with their food that led to a neuro, you know, non-neurotypical response, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been as terrifying as having no idea why these birds yeah. attacked. And it made you, it kind of makes you realize there's a crap load of birds out there. And if they ever decide to if they if they turn on us we're dead <laughs> and that's true with a lot of animals yeah hmm. let's be honest if, if 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 these animals ever figure out if they just band together mm -hmm. they can they can come after us on mass we're screwed guys that could even be like feral cats 
like if all the feral cats in the world decided to turn on humans yeah we're fucked yeah big time do we think hitchcock had a later career in which she had kind of dressed up other genres like the um the sci-fi disaster uh movie where giant radiated ants you know like them or like the 50 foot woman you know this where nature gone amok like uh ben or willard or <laughs> the day of the triffids right. seemed like hitchcock had a way of uh, taking a b picture genre and adding a list actors to it and then making it suspense and it seems like he did just that with the birds you know yeah, there's almost no way that this mer- this movie works if it's somebody other than Hitchcock directing it. Mm-hmm. Like even a very good filmmaker, I think, would have struggled to find the right balance. It's also a very funny movie in some ways. Um, underneath the kind of horror aspect mm-hmm. of it, there's it, it's still got some of uh, Hitchcock's humor that kind of seeps through it. Yeah. So I think just getting that balance right was something that was very, very Hitchcockian. Is there a um a sin that happens at the beginning think of a poltergeist (laughs) that that film where these corpses are um uh graves of these corpses are uh harmed and uh so that's kind of the sin that that kind of triggers some of the what happens in the later parts or justifies it is there anything bad that happens like is there a crime like i know in like psycho there's money stealing and stuff you know there's sometimes these characters who are kind of pretending to be uh, decent in Hitchcock things, do something a little bit naughty. Yeah, no, there's nothing really. I mean, there's kind of a meet cute at a pet store between Tippi Hedren's character and uh, Rod Taylor's character, uh-huh. um, where it kind of establishes the two characters. But huh. uh, beyond that, not really, no. Well, the Acme Birdseed shortage. Yes. Is- yeah, that's true. Uh, that's the big crime. That's the problem. <laughs> what a fun! Uh, you can't get much class there in Hitchcock. We'll see what Michael does. What do you got, Winfield? Um, mine is um, just the reclamation of human habitats by nature. Oh. Um, I love when uh, humans move out of a particular area, and all of a sudden, plant life just starts growing back in almost immediately where I love the depiction of that in like kind of um, the future movies, um, kind of like post-apocalyptic movies where like you'll see like giant skyscrapers starting to get overrun with vines and um, how just the earth um, just starts to claim back, just starts to crawl back um, and pull things back from like a man-made world to something that's more akin to something more naturalistic. Um, Whether it's, you see this, like I said, in... um, in like sci-fi movies where like the world is suddenly overrun again and all of the geodesic domes are covered with plant life yeah. or like um oh god what's the one i'm thinking of like logan's run where like um you know the, the capital of the united states has been you know clawed back mm-hmm. uh, with vines and overgrown again because it hasn't been because mankind hasn't you know kind of uh, tended to nature or like even things like old abandoned malls or just like pictures of like parts of what like abandoned parts of uh, Detroit look like just when people aren't living there for any given time, nature just comes back almost right away. And it's just like, 
nah, I'm, I'm growing through this cement, this sidewalk. All this is is rock and plants. They're like, ah, we know how to get through rock. Water mm-hmm. knows how to erode rock. We are going to just come back no matter what you build. It can be concrete or steel or it can be a mall. And I just love nature constantly. We're never going to defeat it. It doesn't matter if we blow this place up with nuclear bombs. Nature, mother, mother nature is just going to find a way to um, restore itself to some being, some part of itself. It's so, it's so much older than mankind. Yeah. You know? I keep you know, thinking, I, well, let me just finish. I keep thinking of this one place kind of near where I live. It's this thing that has been dubbed by our good friend, Brown Town, called Mega Weed. <laughs> it is this one plant that has existed in front of like a yum yum donuts that every like it would constantly get cut down and then it would come back. It would get cut down to nothing and it would just keep coming back and coming back. It would take three months or six months. And I think eventually the people just stopped cutting it down because like, we can't defeat this. <laughs> just let it grow. It's not, it's just mega weed is coming. Mega weed is going to always be there. And they, I think they just gave, gave up on it. <laughs> it. It even happened in Chernobyl. I mean, I remember. I have that written down too. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, the, the, uh, what they call it, the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which is this big part of the Ukraine that had been contaminated, whatnot, not livable for humans. Um, and so since everyone kind of abandoned it, it's now become this huge nature preserve. And no, there are not blinky, there's no fish with three eyes <laughs> yeah. or anything like that. It's just A this legitimate, yeah, it's too bad, really. Um, but yeah, it's just this large nature preserve and it's kind of uh, fascinating that that could come from that even in the midst of something as tragic and monumental as a nuclear meltdown, something like that could still survive and thrive under those conditions. Yeah, it is. It is funny. All the arguments about the, uh, uh, in what humans are doing to the environment and the environmental crisis. It's really just the human crisis. I mean, we're, we're eradicating species at alarming rate. Um, and those would not return likely, but if, if, if humans were to be gone, <laughs> we, you get about three generations and then the planet's going to bounce back. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I, I haven't uh, really thought of earth day as a human construct. Like, you know, the, I, the idea of, is it to protect the earth, but it's really to protect the humans on the earth. Yeah. Buy yourself another few years, buy yourself some more lifetime. Yeah. The earth is going to be fine. Yeah. We might kill a bunch of animals, but other ones are going to evolve and grow into something else. And mm-hmm. the dinosaurs are, you know, up in heaven. Cause we know that's where they are. <laughs> They're just up there laughing at us yeah. being like, we ruled for millions of years and you specs are nothing. You're nothing. You, you think your, your K earth 101 uh, earth day down at Santa Monica <laughs> pier is going to raise an extra $1.2 million to save you guys. Uh, you clowns. The, the first Jurassic, I guess it's the only Jurassic park book. I don't know. Did he, did he write the lost world? Was that a Creighton book? Well, anyway, uh, he wrote like three of them. Did he really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember the, in kind of the preamble of it, when we knew, reading it and you knew the dinosaurs were coming we knew what this book was about but the in the earlier chapters there's a zoologist who's talking about uh the aggressiveness of the 
fauna, flora, <laughs> the, the plants and the, uh, the green things on this planet. And uh, before we started erecting uh, this concrete jungle we live in, uh, nature was running wild, but it was also nature versus nature. These plants are aggressively uh, advancing their territory and not just, you know, growing, but kind of like trying to outgrow each other and take out each other. Mm. So as soon as all the buildings get knocked down, then just the melee keeps going amongst all these plants trying to, trying to win out in that's the real Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. It's the fern fern versus ficus. Yeah. Um, Okay. uh, What's your second one, Richard Manfred? So you, so you want to talk about aggressive plants. Oh yeah. Let's get going. Let me tell you about some aggressive plants here. How about plants that want to kill you? Oh, I'm talking about, uh, I smoked some of that. I smoked some of that in college. Yeah. The happening, the happening okay. M night Shyamalan's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad movie oh, with mm. uh, Mark Wahlberg as a, as, as a uh, professor, which tells you about all you need to know about where we're at in the movie right there. Um, if you haven't seen it, I, I can either highly recommend it or heartily tell you to stay away from it. Depends on what your tolerance level is for this sort of thing. Hmm. Um, but essentially the plot of the movie is that plants have decided to start releasing neurotoxins that convince people to kill themselves. And this is happening all up and down the north northeast corridor of the country. And the whole movie is about people trying to escape and trying to figure out what's why this is happening um and it's just incredibly dumb it's just one of the one of the dumbest movies i've ever seen half of and then gave up on because even i couldn't make it through it is this like uh some tomatoes or like uh uh, an asparagus plant or whatever what kind of plants are they i think they're mainly flowering type plants Uh but i and ferns and things like that I think anything that gives off like a a pollen or a, a nectar or anything like that, yeah. anything that can be kind of transmitted through the air. Uh-huh. Was there any apparent metaphor like, oh, night is like showing plants, but we really know what this is about. It's about communism or it's about something like, was there I don't something think so. Bigger? Really? I wow. don't think so. I don't think there's anything like that. I think it's more about I think it was his attempt at a uh, a climate change movie uh-huh. or a movie about how we're not we better be careful if we don't protect the environment. Yeah, um, you know, obviously in this case, they will literally the na- nature will literally kill all of us. Wow, um, and it's just there's silly scenes like at one point a guy they see the video there's footage of a guy like walking into a lion enclosure at a zoo and there's just all sorts of like weird wacky suicide deaths Mm. um it's i I don't know i i I, if you haven't seen i was hoping one of you guys had seen it no no it is it is hard it is hard to explain i feel like you know the the when i was 12 or so i found twilight the twilight zone and I don't, it took me, I, I think four years of watching them and seeing them all and then seeing the pattern to kind of realize that these cautionary tales were at first e- experienced in a very profound way, but then they became just kind of like 
corny and 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 um, melodramatic and a little bit maudlin and heavy-handed. And I felt like M. Night Shyamalan went. He, it took him three years to get to that place from from a profoundly jaw-dropping. Oh my God, I didn't see the ending coming. To uh, maybe maybe five years <laughs> to just hacky uh, with with the happening and the the lady in the water. What was the last one? I, I there's there's like a Paul Giamatti and like a apartment swimming pool. Lady in the water. Yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna pull up his filmography real. He quick. just did that so fast. Yeah, it was it was it was a, a quick turnaround from from boy genius to uh Yeah, I think that's the power of Final Cut. Not the editing software, but like the <laughs> fact that you are the whole shebang. You the right. screenwriter, the director, the producer, editor, and the studio can't say dick. Now I think there's I think there's also like a um an aspect of trying to like out clever yourself constantly. And uh, I think what it, I think the one that kind of broke people was the village. Okay. Cause that, yes. I think that there was an aspect of the village that seemed quasi, you know, it was based on like kind of like this supernatural sort of setting, but then it turned out to be kind of like, not so much. And then you're like, Oh, that was it. Oh yeah. Okay. And then I guess maybe it went down after after that but the, you know his first like three movies were like or the first ones that were like really acclaimed the sixth sense and unbreakable and signs were all like quite very good signs maybe not so much i enjoy it quite a bit but um, the hell out of me. yeah it had good good fun scary aliens shit in there yeah i just love the idea i mean this i i would love to know what the pitch meeting was you know when m night Shyamalan goes to his studio and says i want to make a movie about killer plants you guys yeah. hate trees right like me <laughs> <laughs> and they would have gone you want to remake attack of the killer tomatoes <laughs> you would go no well kind of but not really that's funny winfield what's your second choice uh my second choice now this might not sound like a big one but this is kind of I was kind of staying within like the mother earth kind of um, thought of things, but small earthquakes. Now, <laughs> damn it. Why couldn't you, you, why couldn't you have said little earthquakes? Then I could have made a Tori Amos joke, but go on. <laughs> well, because uh, God, sometimes I just don't come through Richard. <laughs> um, but small earthquakes are the ones that, are just scary enough and just remind you kind of who's in charge enough. Like they don't really break anything. They usually wake you up at four in the morning. They really kind of fuck with your sense of like what's going on. And you can almost get used to them a little bit too much. I think there's very much a, um, like a parental figure, a mother figure saying, all right, I'm gonna give you to the count of three. I'm gonna be one, two and they're like they're small little warnings to let you know that like there's something big potentially coming and they kind of just leave you on edge and they let you know that there's like something bigger that's in charge here that can really they can really destroy things they can really fuck you up and you kind of start getting used to them and then it like it gets a little bit bigger and then there's like one and like if you're not used to them they're like terrifying 
like what was like people that don't live on in an earthquake zone or in like a uh you know like along like a, a major fault and you just and you just come to a place that has that you're you're not quite used to it it's like really fucking weird even though like you're used to tornadoes or like hurricanes or other crazy things right but like the earthquake is just this thing it's like oh this just the entire part of this earth just shakes violently really quickly really suddenly and you're like oh my god what is this god i hate this planet well it's nature striking without warning yeah I mean, with a hurricane you've got several days to know that it's coming it's probably going to hit this area even with a tornado you know that there's thunderstorms this is tornado watch be on the lookout for it there's nothing with an earthquake other than your pets uh-huh. acting weird which i don't think is a real thing but let's just pretend that it was other than your pets acting weird there's really nothing there's no like foreshadowing of an earthquake's going to happen and i love i by the way i love the uh I love the uh, the meme of the uh, patio furniture with one chair knocked down. Yeah, that's always used <laughs> whenever there's an earthquake in like Washington, Virginia, or something like that. And it's always I survived the Virginia earthquake 2021. <laughs> that's a popular one. I now I seem to rush to Facebook after I feel what I thought was an earthquake. You never know is it an earthquake or did my cat just jump on the bed? The little yeah. ones. Uh, I think it's a funny thing that I, I go there to see if anybody else reported it, but, uh, it does feel like, like, instead of getting shot at, somebody just threw a bullet at you and it just kind of, <laughs> kind of bounces off your chest and lands on the, it's like next time that could be. Yeah. And their other hand, they're holding, they're holding the gun. Oh, they're gun. I can't shoot yeah. you. They're My holding bullets. the gun, but they're throwing bullets at you. They're like, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, small, the, small earthquakes often, um, uh, create a phenomenon that I like to refer to as the earthquake tough guy <laughs> where the people come out and they're like I didn't even feel that one and it's like oh okay all right, all right. Yeah. You, you don't need you don't need to you don't need to talk about how tough you were to not feel <laughs> a particular 3.2 earthquake that was down in you know Los Olivos or whatever like it's it's all right yeah. I, I didn't feel that one. I was bouncing on, uh, around on these spring shoes I got from Acme Corporation <laughs> to try to catch the Roadrunner. I wound up with, a, man, maybe this is a, a native Californian thing, but whenever a small earthquake hits, my first thought is, I sure hope that was centered near us and wasn't centered like in San Francisco mm. and we're feeling it all the way down here. Because mm. for all I know, it could be a massive earthquake 500 miles away that we're just feeling like it's oh yeah right um so that's always with a small earthquake that's always my first thought and i think that that's i don't think about like boy that was that was a pretty strong one or i didn't really feel that one or anything like that first thought is always oh crap i sure hope that wasn't something far away oh yeah a fatal typhoon uh, up the coast yeah. somewhere, <laughs> monster or a tsunami is coming. Yeah. yeah, my 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 initial thing now that I have um a kid is to just immediately run and uh run into the room to see if he's like okay. And of course, he sleeps through everything. You know, he's three going on four, and like he just sleeps through every every small earthquake. And I'm the one whose heart heart is beating as fast as it can. Just <laughs> like oh god, this. 
this kid in his bunk bed is fine. He's in like the, literally the safest place in the house. Nothing can fall on him. And he's just, he's just a hundred percent asleep. I'm like, okay, well, good. Ultimately. All right. Uh, we are at our halftime and I'm going to beg you to celebrate Earth Day the best possible way by listening to past episodes of the Mount Rushmore podcast. Nobody has done more for the environment than mm. Richard Manfredi and Michael Winfield. The hot air and greenhouse gas that we have created by speaking, uh, m- droning monotonously on for five years now. Imagine if we'd been like mining Bitcoin this entire time instead of just <laughs> talking nonsensically into yeah. microphones. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a boon for the environment. At this We'd point. be $5 ahead if we had. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so do that. So go back, download, uh, rate and review past episodes. We would really appreciate it. Share Mount Rushmore podcast uh, with your friends. It's uh, reduce your carbon footprint by going out to the Mount Rushmore social sites, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and posting uh, about how we plant one tree for every download. We do. Uh, One figurative tree is planted mentally by the hosts of the podcast. Every time you download. They're rubber trees. A rubber tree. We plant them and they just sort of sit there. They sit there. That's it. Yeah. So do that. Uh, We appreciate it. And all those things and then suggest topics if you could uh work up the gumption to make your voice heard and let us know what topic you would love us to uh, skewer with our rapier wit um you could do that on uh, instagram facebook and twitter and now we're back and now i guess uh Rick, richard so richard of clan freddy is going to say his third so I love me a disaster film. I just, I remember being a kid watching like Towering Inferno. Oh yeah, yeah. Earthquake and all those sort of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my, and for a long time, my favorite one was Volcano, which was one of the best dumb movie going experiences I think I've ever had. Because mm-hmm. it's just such a big, dumb and stupid movie. And not in a happening way where it thinks that it's, I mean, I think Volcano is very clearly kind of in on the joke. Hmm. It's at least not trying to be something, some think piece about social, about so you know, environmental consciousness mm-hmm. or whatever. So that was one of my favorite movies. And then I saw a little film called 2012, hmm. which, oh boy, if you guys have not seen this one, stop what you're doing. Pull your car off to the side, the side of the road at the Slauson cutoff. Stop, get out of your car, cut off your Slauson, get back in the car drive somewhere where they have a rental rent this movie it's unbelievable stars john cusack as a limo driver who is trying to save his family from the destruction caused by and i need to make sure i'm going to go to wikipedia to get this right um that there is a new type of neutrino from a huge solar flare that is heating the earth's core and it's eventually going to cause the crust to essentially melt and give way now he was also um, was he a uh, he was a writer right was he yeah a, like a science fiction I've seen, writer I've seen, okay he was a science fiction writer so I I have seen this movie and as you're speaking it's slowly kind of fading back into memory um, and I remember him being having like a 
a box full of books in the back of his limo. Yes. Right? Yeah. And he was, and this, he's, he was also doing the classic, um, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but he was like estranged from his family, right? He was divorced from the wife sort of thing, yes. but like mm. a good dad at the same time, but also kind of a loser because he was, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's the, the nature of the movie sets up so that literally every type of natural disaster that can befall Earth happens in about a 24-hour period, including a 10.9 earthquake in Los Angeles that causes most of Los Angeles to fall into the Pacific Ocean, uh, which I'm not quite sure about the that's one of those that that scene and that movie this movie is one of those things as like a native uh los los angelian uh los angelino angelino i can't even think of what the the right word is as a native of the area that makes you crazy watching like none of like the logistics of where they're traveling make sense yes like it's it's one of those you it's one of those you can't get here from there sorts of movies like, why is he flying that plane over? No, that, t- that wouldn't fall. No. And they Get managed, I, I appreciate that they managed to turn the earthquake into an excuse for a, essentially a high-speed char- car chase between John Cusack's limo and the earth, which is buckling <laughs> and collapsing behind him. And he has to drive this limo 80 miles per hour down s- suburban streets in Los Angeles, which is anyone in Los Angeles knows that's impossible. This thing is doing Dukes of Hazards jumps over buckled section of sections of road, landing like it's you know no problem, no suspension damage, no blown out tires. Just keep on going. Um, at some point later on in the movie, they're at Yellowstone when a massive uh, super volcanic explosion happens, and you guessed it, he has to outrun it in his car. <laughs> This movie it has only has a couple of ideas, but it really pounds those ideas into your brain. And I just think 2012 for me is the most disaster film of all time. Mm. It just has more disaster, more bang for your buck. Um, it is a brilliant dumb movie, and I would once again just please encourage everyone if you haven't seen it yet, turn off your brain for an hour and a half and yeah. go however long two and a half hours because it's an epic take that back just turn your brain off and watch it it has it ties into a couple of like um kind of fun interesting things like 2012 was one of those one of the many like predicted to be the end of the world type years i believe that was why it's called 2012 is because whether it was a nostra the mayans or nostradamus or one of those sorts of people had like uh, this is the year when everything ends. But it also has that thing that I really like is when um, like the governments and powers that be have secretly planned for the end of the world. And they they have like the real Mona Lisa all locked up and ready to go in their flying fortress that can withstand anything. They have all the real treasures of the world already secured and all the rich people of, you know, their champagne and caviar and they're ready to be they're ready to be brought onto their like arc. I'm sure it's called the arc. It is called the arc. Of, <laughs> of course, course it's called, called yeah, arc. yeah. Uh, like <laughs> I like, said, not know, a lot of ideas in this movie, but they yeah. hammer away at them. It, it just has that sort of like the preparation for the end of the world sort of stuff that uh, I like. It also has the, uh, the scientist who is trying to uh, warn everybody before something happens. That's another, uh, yeah. another yeah. trope that it has. Yeah. 
that he's uh they don't believe him because of extreme beliefs and yada yada blah, blah, uh, blah. which every QAnon person thinks that they are you know or every 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 book <laughs> yeah this movie if, if you were already in the QAnon head mindset i think would do nothing but give you even more fantastic ideas to spread it spread on the internet yeah uh it's funny as much as uh climate change as much as i don't know people seem to be patriotic for this country they sure don't like the plan give a fuck about the planet <laughs> that's really interesting no there's some there's yeah. something where there's like this belief that somehow we're going to be okay even if the planet goes to shit yeah somehow yeah. we'll figure out a way to live in a big dome or something i don't yeah. know what people think you know it's interesting though john cusack is the one of the most every manish man's uh leading men there is there's always a I think everybody thinks like, although actually I think he's kind of a board certified badass who's done some martial arts films. I think everybody thinks they could probably, I don't know, not, not that you'd want to punch John Cusack or Paul Rudd, but he just seems like he's not the rock, you yeah. know? So he's somebody you can go. Yeah. I, I, I can relate to him in this uh, very bad situation where every natural phenomenon is trying to punch him in the face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Winfield. Um, my third choice. Uh, what What would you say is some of the most beautiful areas of the world? Cleveland, Provo, Cleveland. Utah, Provo, Utah, Sakaka, New Jersey. Oh, uh, are you are you Hawaii? Are you, then, are you there you go. beautiful Hawaii. scenic Provo, Utah? Because I will <laughs> come after you for that. Go I'm, ahead. I'm anti-Provo. You said it with the first. You said it with the very first thing, Jeff, when you were being serious. Hawaii, okay, beautiful place, right? Yeah, man, that place can get fucked up by a volcano real quick. Oh, <laughs> I love how uh, Mother Nature just will create the most beautiful places, but at the same time, there's like a volcano just just lurking yeah. that's just ready to just wreck shop. Mm-hmm. A volcano is just like any given time. This thing is just going to start spewing out molten lava and melting things, and you can't stop it. Yeah. It's just going to change the landscape. It's going to melt everything. I was really excited, Richard, when you mentioned the movie Volcano uh, earlier, and then um, was obviously excited when you transitioned to 2012. But the idea of just molten lava spewing out of the earth. And just destroying things is so amazing. And just, (laughs) it's just, it is the earth uh, remaking itself however it wants. You can't stop it. There's no like anti-volcano bomb. You can't sprinkle like a cat litter type substance on top of it to like slow it down. Mm -hmm. It just, it just does its thing. Mm -hmm. You know, over the last couple of weeks, there's been, some like big eruptions in Iceland, which is another like crazy beautiful place that like the volcano is just like, well, you know what? Now I'm just, now I'm just going to wreck things for a little bit and you can't do anything about it. And then down in like the Caribbean, um, I believe um, like the island chain with um, uh, St. Vincent, there's been uh, another- Love St. Vincent. Love her, by the way. There's been, um, yeah, uh, another- uh, kind of volcano that has caused people to like evacuate and just exploding plumes of ash and volcanic matter. And just, it just, you know, 
the earth has such a way of just reminding reminding you that um, it's just gonna do things and you have no way of stopping it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, uh, I just think volcanoes are just so, so terrifying. Well, in the whole, whole, you're sitting on a string of islands and they're amazingly beautiful because they're at this per- perfect place in the middle of the ocean. Like, how did those islands get there? Volcanic activity created them millions yeah. of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not going to happen again. Is it? Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> I find this to be a corollary to Australia, a, a beautiful country that I've been to. Not mm. to humble brag about it, but I have. So there. Um, but also the home of every most deadliest animal you yeah. can possibly find. Whether it's stingrays, jellyfish, sharks, doesn't matter. I'm sure somehow the uh, the opossums are the most deadly opossums <laughs> in the world. Oh, Richard, somehow you have magically uh, teed up my fourth choice whenever we get there. Oh, yeah. Exciting. exciting. Uh, well, yeah. I, yeah. Heaven I do, and hell, I, same place. Yeah, I do like, too, that um, volcanoes and, like, uh, this is just like an anecdote. One of the things that kind of led to like the French Revolution was like an Icelandic volcanic eruption because it like erupted for eight months and spewed all this ash over like Northern Europe and caused all these people to go hungry because they couldn't grow any crops. And it was really hard to uh, move ships in and out of the harbor and all these different things that happened because of a volcano in Iceland. And it just led to the people rising up and part part of the reason to just like overthrow the government because nobody could, nobody had any food and everyone was just starving and it was just like okay thanks volcano several hundred miles away what was there was another volcano that they created a blight or one of the uh, the water turned to blood i think that was hmm. a volcano too or it was like rust in the water or something um, okay, well, uh, Manfredi, your final choice. So we are talking about Mother Nature's Revenge, are we not? That's sure, what yeah. we're talking about? So yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. It, it would be tough to finish this topic without discussing a movie with the revenge strict, straight in its name. I'm, of course, talking about Jaws the Revenge, hmm. the fourth and final movie of the Jaws oh, trilogy, yeah. or uh, Jaws series um this movie uh concerns a great white shark that is terrorizing the the now widow of martin brody the uh, police chief and on amity island this shark manages to stalk her from amity island all the way to the bahamas Hmm. it follows her Hmm. sharks don't do that Again, one of I, mean, I there is a pattern in my move, in my choices. I thought I think I had enough goodwill built up from the birds that I could choose three really bad movies. <laughs> and as bad as the happening is, Jaws Reve- Jaws the Revenge might be even worse. Somehow the shark has like a psychic connection with Ellen Brody, mm-hmm. so she can sense when it's around. Somehow this one spe- specific shark goes thousands of miles in the ocean. 
just to show up in the Bahamas where there are no great white sharks because it's warm water, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, blah, just to terrorize this poor woman. It's unbelievable. It's truly a a piece of cinema magic. I have met the director of this film. You have. Joseph Sargent. He directed this uh, Hallmark Hall of Fame movie, the sequel to Sarah Plain and Tall. Um. And I think I might have been in the Bahamas when they were filming this because we on high school for spring break in, in 1987, we went to the Bahamas and some kids were saying, yeah, they're filming some movie or something. Oh, that must've been it then. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's a movie that manages to be worse than Jaws 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an impressive task in and of itself. It also manages to be the most impressive cash grab that Michael Caine has ever done. Yeah, I mean, this is just, this is just strictly. I am here. Where is my bag of cash? Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, I've got to that, pay for my flat in Rio somehow. Yes. <laughs> that that's one of those movies that I don't know if I've seen, but I know everything about. Uh-huh. I know exactly how the shark is killed at the end. I know. It explodes. Uh, it explodes. Spoiler alert. The thing explodes whenever they eventually impale it. Not cool, yeah. dude. Yeah, not I, just, I was, I, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works in nature. They drive it crazy with some sort of like sonar device that makes it jump out of the water and then it gets impaled on the end of like his sailboat. Um, I remember it mostly though because of the truly terrible Jaws for the Revenge video game for the NES where like the first level of the game is like diving for conch shells and trying to avoid <laughs> getting eaten by a shark and that's how you know that you've got a really terrible video game where you're just like uh i've got to learn how to pronounce conch shell uh fuck this <laughs> revenge the shark and it's not like explain like the shark is related to jaws it's just not jaws <laughs> junior or something yeah, yeah. It's just, like, it's, it's just like word of mouth has gotten around that like like this lady's um, a husband was really bad news for sharks and he's just like we got to get him back. It's like it's like it's like a Godfather revenge pick. <laughs> this is uh, also I think one of the not that this is uh, apropos to this topic, but it seems like one we might have tackled a uh, series that went from good to camp. You know, like. Uh, I imagine had Spielberg had Bruce the shark working through most of the production of that, it might've been a a more straight up horror or a thriller movie than it was a psychological thriller Jaws, but the rest of the movies were just (laughs) crapola. It got campier faster than Batman, I think, or or campier than faster than Bond even. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. um, So before we get into Michael's, last choice jeff hopkins is gonna say in kansas city there was a show called 41 treehouse lane channel 41 the uhf channel which was just funded by local car commercials and things like that uh had this character or show called 41 treehouse lane and it was hosted by a local she was probably a newscaster until she aged out uh wearing this crepe paper and felt dress and she was mother nature and she was the kitty the local kitty host and i was just in love with mother nature 
as a kid, she'd show a Popeye cartoon or she'd show you how to make a, a craft out of a toilet paper roll or something like that. And it was just the best thing ever. And then she got replaced by this guy, Ed Muscari. And he turned out to be a boy bother, I think is the parlance I'll use. Um, he was found with some some illicit materials on his uh, laptop and soliciting young men. Pretty good story, huh? All right. Wrap it up, Winfield. On that note, Winfield, that go. <laughs> Clean up wow. my mess. Holy shit. I've, I've got, I, have to fa- I have to follow that up with <laughs> the world's most <laughs> fucked up animal, the platypus. Oh, which, oh what an what, aberration. What did this animal do to Mother yes. Nature? Yes. That she got her revenge on this poor creature <laughs> over and over. Either he's one oh, yeah. of two things. Either he's the most unfortunate animal that has ever existed. And just Mother Nature is just like uh, dropped every bomb on him. Or he's the ultimate survivor. I don't know what it is, but this thing is a fucking nightmare. Could it be the webbed feet or the um, giving birth to, um, to, to, to be a mammal and laying eggs, mm. to um, having this huge duckbill on your face, to having this weird like talon that extrudes some sort of like, extrudes some sort of like toxin, mm. to um, uh, flame fire breath, I think. It has this weird like, it sees through like um, echolocation or electrolocation, it's not even echolocation like a dolphin. It like senses like magnetic, uh, like electrical signals to like catch things. Um, it's also kind of bioluminescent. It has like all these weird things that you feel like mother nature has just been trying to kill this thing. Mm-hmm. Like it has done something to mother nature over and over. She keeps trying to kill it and he keeps like surviving and getting through it. And like, mm. we haven't seen the last evolution of the platypus it's going to grow like crazy wings it's going to do all this crazy shit because of some feud it's currently having with mother nature i don't know i think rich richard when you when you touched on like australia i got really excited because that entire country like australia and like uh uh tasmania and like maybe new zealand even Man, they're so just far away from everything. <laughs> Everything's so fucked up there, animal-wise. When the first scientist, I'm reading this through the uh, platypus Wikipedia page, apparently mm. the first time scientists uh, examined a preserved platypus body, they just as- immediately assumed it was a fake, that it had been mm. sewn together mm. from different pieces of different animals. It just There was no way for humans to comprehend there could be an animal this fucked up anywhere. It's crazy. It's like, it. you look at it and you're like, my kid drew that when he was trying to draw something else. Yeah. And then that's what he just settled on. It's like, okay. It's like, he has this, he has this. Sure, that's a duck. Like, that's a duck. Sure thing. That's it. it looks great. Yeah. We've all, we all know what Pokemon are. We all know what Psyduck is. That's what you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know how John Williams in the scores for the prequels, didn't he do something where he kind of retro composed Anakin's theme or something based on forget oh, what well, it, how I can it tell you what it, I can what tell you it? one of the so if you're watching the end of the Phantom Menace uh-huh. 
there's a scene where they're like having this big celebration where like all of the um the gungans are parading down the streets of naboo and they're it's they're leading up with this huge parade up to like present some big trophy and everyone's celebrating and the song is being played by like i think it's called uh i'm gonna get the name wrong sorry nerds but it's like augie's big band celebration something or other but the, the song that's playing at the end is this really up-tempo um major key um song that's like it's the emperor song mm. which is in like a, a like a lower register and much slower it's like if you listen to them back to back it's like it's the same song and you know the end of the phantom menace kind of partially ends on like a a smiling senator palpatine oh okay and so like you know john williams is uh, the ultimate king of knowing exactly what he wants to do just to have the same song and a speeded up tempo uh-huh. you know major key versus a minor key he just well, i thought there was something where like vader's theme in star wars was kind of an amalgam of of uh, uh amidala's theme and anakin's theme so oh i mean i wouldn't be surprised with that either well it makes makes me wonder is was the platypus the first Mm. cool idea that just ended up on (laughs) um the island where the hms beagle (laughs) parked and then duck then otter then beaver then all these things were kind of derivative of it like was it like this amazing concept album that some band came out that kind of spurred on all these knockoff groups that came mm. came from that? I don't know. So was so you're saying the platypus was maybe was Weezer, and then like um, the rentals came out of yeah. the platypus, and it's like okay, well we got friends of P out of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good enough. What's, yeah. These one-offs. Nice? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Uh, but we look at it and go, ah, oh, you guys, platypus pussy. He's just ripping off all these other acts, or he's trying to put together an act based on these other things. I just think it's one of those weird things that, like, nature has just created out of, like, I don't know. It's so fucked up to just look at, and like, and you wonder how it survived. Like, didn't all the wolves just get this thing? It looks so slow moving. Couldn't something yeah. have killed this thing off so many millions of years ago? But no. Yeah, it's, it's like punishment. It's like Sisyphus pushing pushing that rock up the mm-hmm. hill. You have to exist and be constantly changed because Mother Nature hates you so much. Yeah. How about how about now you're laying eggs? Oh fuck. Oh my God, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and I'm gonna have like a horn, you know, or like like antlers. Like what what would it? <laughs> think of, oh God, Friday. There's a there's um uh, uh a Pete a Bill Pete book called The Wingding Dilly. Um, which I have down in the garage for my kids' fourth birthday, which is about like this animal that's like this amalgam of all these different creatures and elephant nose and these big antlers and all these different things that I'm just dying to read again. And I imagine that that's what it is. Just It's a curse. This animal is just cursed. <laughs> all right, dudes, let's do it. Let's just score it up. Um, I just wanted to say in case anybody is listening, we are pro-nature here at the Mount Rushmore podcast. We're not anti-nature. Okay. When do you change that on us? Oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. Speak for myself. 
so why don't we go with, um, I don't know, because it kind of classed up things, the birds kind of class things up and because it's going to happen, the reclamation of human habitat by nature uh, that Starbucks, it's going to be nature that uh, office building. It's going to be nature in place of it. It's all going to be nature. Um, uh, why don't we go with um, small earthquakes just because it was kind of scary. And uh, because I know the director, Joseph Sarge, Sargent, who directed the taking of Pelham 123, uh, Giuseppe Sargenti is his real name, uh, Jaws the Revenge. He's one of your people, Richard. He's one of your folk. Mm-hmm. Is the Manfredi northern or southern? I believe it's southern. Oh, a bunch of hoodlums. Yes, 100%. All right. This has been the Mount Rushmore of Nature's Revenge, which is, I think, also whether it... No, that's Montezuma's Revenge. Okay, never mind. Uh, I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. We did it. How's your water heater? Um, well, 